0: Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. Welcome to another episode of The Lunch Learn with Dr. Bayer. I'm your host, Dr. Bayer-Pierre, your favorite board-certified internist, founder of com, as well as Pierre Medical Consulting, helping you empower yourself for better health with the number one podcast for patient advocacy. Today I get to bring you a special guest today, Dr. Neela Grace Cord, which is a good friend of mine and an expert in women's health and what she calls Vagina Land. Uh, she is hilarious, first of all, uh, but she's really an expert because of course you guys know I'm not the biggest women's health discussion, right? Because it was a reason why I went into her own medicine, but so I figured let's bring someone on who could kind of help me kind of grasping this knowledge that I really kind of avoided when I was a medical student and medical resident. So today we're going to be talking about endometriosis, which depending on when you're listening to, gets its entire month of awareness. Month is actually, uh, March, I'm sorry, is actually endometriosis. March is endometriosis awareness month. So I figured if a disease gets a whole entire month, it has to be important. And if it has to be important, let's bring an important guest on. So I just I want to talk. A, I'm going to just give a little bit of a bio just so you can kind of understand exactly uh, the person we're going to be talking to. And first of all, she's hilariously funny. Uh, you're definitely going to enjoy uh, today's episode. Um, Dr. Neela Ricks-Cord is a wife, mother of three hilarious children. She's a board-certified obstetrician gynecologist. She is a motivational speaker. she's a two-time best-selling author. She's a media personality whose passion is to encourage women to address their health care concerns and fears, giving them a voice and empowering their lives, mind, body, and spirit. Again, you know the theme, empower yourself for better health here. Uh, she currently resides in Texas with her loving spouse, three children, and two lizards. She attended college at Indiana University. While there, she performed research and published articles on rats in order to help curb alcoholic behaviors in humans, which is absolutely hilarious. Uh, she did move to Baltimore to perform research and published articles at Johns Hopkins University. Uh, this time investigating acute respiratory distress syndrome at the molecular level. She attended graduate school at Johns Hopkins in pursuit of a master's degree in biotechnology. She was accepted at the University of College Medicine. Experience significantly shaped how she practiced medicine, culminating in her receipt of the Leroy Weeks Award for outstanding clinical skills, bedside manner, and commitment to service. Again, she is absolutely amazing, and I, I get again, especially for my fellows who are probably like, uh, I'm not sure if this is a podcast I want to listen to. Um, this. Is a disease process that could affect your mom, could affect your sister, could affect your cousins. Uh, so this is something you may want to listen to just to be able to kind of pass that on, right? Especially if you have a, f- a female friend or a spouse or wife or a sister who has these very vague complaints and no one seems to know uh, what's wrong with her, and then you start kind of attributing it to maybe in her head. This is a disease process that may make you think different, right? So sit back for another great episode. Again, if you have not had a chance, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review for the podcast so we are on on the radar of everybody, so everyone can be empowered uh, for better health. So again, thank you. Let's listen to another amazing episode this week with Dr. Anila Rickscourt. One of the sponsors for the Lunch and Learn Community Podcast is the Lunch and Learn Community Store, where you can find t shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, stickers and wristbands with the motto, empower yourself for better health. Remember, 50% of all proceeds will go to the five-star scholarship foundation where we give out college scholarships to deserving high school seniors across the country. Thus far, we have given out over 20 deserving scholarships to students across the country. So again, 50% of the proceeds will be uh, blessed to the five-star scholarship foundation. And today you can get the coupon code lunch 20 and you can get 20% off your purchase and you support these high school students across the country. Again, the lunch and learn community store is at shop. And the coupon code is lunch 20. All right, lunch learn community. So you heard that amazing intro uh, with Dr. Neela and we're going to, you know, really let her speak and introduce yourself to the community. And uh, of course, you know, guys, I've, I've said this before, I am not no women's health expert. One of the reasons why I went internal medicine is because I kept getting kicked out of the rooms when I was a medical student, right? So I figure if we're going to be talking about women's health, especially uh, a disease course like endometriosis, right? Like I figure let's get the expert talking. I'm just going to sit here and listen. So really, I'm actually going to be listening along with you guys. And, you know, let's this expert kind of expound her knowledge on us and tell us what endometriosis is. But first and foremost, Dr. Neil, please, again, thank you for coming to The Lunch Learn with Dr. Barry.
1: Thank you, Doctor Barry, so much for allowing me to be able to be graced by your presence and share a little bit of knowledge.
0: <laughs> Trust me, the, the, the feeling is all hundred percent mine. It's um, I, I've told the Doctor and friends of mine and I told her, I said, I'm gonna get you on a podcast. Like you can't be giving all that amazing information out to the community on Facebook and everywhere else, and then not give it to the lunchtime community. So I already, I had, I had already prewarned her she would be on the show. That you did, that you did, <laughs> and I am honored to be here, sir. So, Daniela, for those who may not know you, may not be following you, give a little bit, you know, outside of the bio, a little bit about yourself. Tell us why you do what you do and kind of how you got to where you're at now.
1: Sure. So I am a board-certified obstetrician-gynecologist. I'm a wife of 22, going on 23 years, praise God, Lord willing. I'm a mother of three awesome kids, and I'm a two-time best-selling author and a speaker. So through my books, my patient care, and my coaching programs, I encourage women to address their healthcare concerns and fears, giving them a voice and empowering them to live their best lives, mind, body, and spirit. So I'm originally an East Coast native. I'm the eldest of three children and a big, fat science geek. I openly wear that pin. Uh, I attended college (laughs) at Indiana University, Purdue University at Indianapolis, and that was where I met my love and my biggest cheerleader. Performed research at Hopkins before heaven, the privilege of attending Howard University College of Medicine, and then completed my residency uh, at WellSpan York Health in Pennsylvania. So I was inspired to practice medicine and led to become an obstetrician gynecologist secondary to the death of my mom. Um, she was, when I was 22 years old, she was misdiagnosed with the flu and subsequently died of septicemia. And for those who don't know what that is, it's essentially a bacterial infection in the blood, which basically causes massive organ failure and death. So mm-hmm. this is why I do what
0: it is I do so I love it and you know thank you for sharing that story with us because I think a lot of times uh people outside of uh, in fact for you know full disclosure actually recording this on like you know National Doctors Day right and I love I love this day because a lot of times physicians really aren't getting a lot of the the fanfare and the good light that they should be getting right you know a lot of times there's a lot of misconceptions of why we became physicians you know, for some reason, people think it's all about the money. And I keep trying to tell you, trust me. <laughs> no,
1: right? sir. It most assuredly is not. <laughs> right. Fannie Mae, Sally Mae, whoever right. she is, she visits me on a regular.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I keep trying to tell folks that. And it's really the love of wanting to, you know, see that next person get better. Right. And understanding that is, you know what? I, I wasn't there. I wasn't able to maybe make the steps I wanted to, for, like for my mom. Right. But maybe I could do it for someone else. Right. And I, I'm, you know, I'm totally feeling that because i remember being a second year medical student and getting the phone call that my father was in the hospital and I again i'm a second year medical student i didn't even know my dad had like medical problems but you know that's a whole nother discussion they don't you know patient guys don't like to talk about nothing right and you know subsequently from that he passed away and i said you know what there's no way that I'm not going to you know let people know like, hey, not only am my physician, but I can't help you right from that day forth, I just kind of took that mantle. So again, thank you for you know you know kind of taking your mantle and kind of really running with it.
1: It is what I was called to do. I feel like knowledge is power, and my angela says when you know better, you do better, and my goal is to make it so that people know better so they can do better.
0: love it so we're, we're gonna, the topic topic at hand today. Um, it's endometriosis, and I, and I could tell you from a, and a, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I'm an internist. I take care of patients, and I used to take care of patients, outpatient, where I knew a little bit about it, but once I went inside the hospital, uh, you know, my knowledge of it was very, very weak, right? So I know that, again, in March, where it's actually National Endometriosis Month, right? So any disease process that gets a whole month is one that I feel like the, the Lunch and Learn community needs to know. Sure. So-, so.
1: Uh, happily, I will tell you about endometriosis. So before I can tell you what it is, allow me to describe what's normal first. Told you I'm a big fat geek and you asked yes. me and you know this, I'm a big fat geek. So, yes. and women who've begun their menstrual cycles every month, the body attempts to get itself ready for the possibility of pregnancy. So I like to describe it as your brain calls your ovaries and says, hey girl, we're trying to get pregnant this month. Under the influence of your brain, your ovaries make estrogen and progesterone, which causes the lining of your uterus to get nice and thick and fluffy, and it causes you to ovulate. And so the thickness of this lining, this this thing happens every single month, where every month we get nice and thick and fluffy so that if we actually do get pregnant, there's a nice nourishing space for a fertilized egg to implant and grow. If you don't get pregnant, that lining dies and peels off, and that peeled lining is actually your menstrual blood. And so, if you don't get pregnant, it starts all over again. Better luck next month. Maybe it'll work out next month. So <laughs> here's Better the luck <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, just like we bleed out of our uteruses and out of our vaginas and onto whatever you know products that it is you use, there's also something called the theory of retrograde flow where we actually bleed backwards, too. So, if you imagine that this uterus has got this cavity on the inside, and whenever I, <laughs> you, you talked about my lives, whenever I do them, I use my face as the uterus, and then I take my locks and I separate them and I pull them. <laughs> off off to the side so you can see that those are fallopian tubes and of fist goes underneath as an ovary you bleed backwards into the uterus or actually from the uterus into the fallopian tubes and into the pelvis. Now this is where it's an, an issue. in um, some of us that tissue that lining that is this endometrial lining that's supposed to regenerate itself every month some of that tissue takes residence actually in your pelvis and in your abdomen and so come next cycle the tissue does what it does and it thickens to try and make a lining where it is but it's in the wrong place. The wrong spot. And so it normally doesn't. Exactly. The wow. Right. Okay. Right. So you've got this out-of-bounds bleeding going on, which triggers inflammation, kind of like if you hit your elbow, you hit your knee, and it swells up right nice and it's sore, your body responds to this perceived injury, and your immune system kicks in and gets involved, and this is where scarring happens. So what is endometriosis? It's when you have your period in places other than in your uterus. And these endometrial cells, once they get access to your pelvis, they can then travel to other places and get access to your blood vessels and your lymph system and go outside your Pelvis to other places, so it is primarily a disease of your pelvis. But because they don't have any limitations and they know right. no bounds, they can go other places too. So, so. so
0: once that, once that, so the, once that retrobleed retro retrograde bleeding happens, it's really like all all fair and love and war, pretty much.
1: Yes, for some of us, we all do it. Not all of us. We all have this this retrograde flow, but not all of us have tissue that are like boundaries. I don't know no stinking mm, boundaries. I'm gonna okay. be where I want to. And so there's a there's a thought that there's a genetic predisposition where there's a subset of people who have tissue that decides, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a topic. I'm gonna to grow wherever it is I want to go. I'm I'm maybe maybe it's like living in a large city. You need to get to some place that's not so highly populated, so you decide <laughs> there's not so many people there. Let's grow independent. The- pelvic. So the actual prevalence of endometriosis is not exactly known. So they say that you see it in between twenty-five to thirty eight percent of adolescents that have chronic pelvic pain and in ten to fifteen percent of women that are reproductive age. And so there's a subset. So we talk about this theory of retrograde flow and then there's also a thought process too. I told you big fat geek moment. I apologize. I'll throw up disclaimers when I come in. Oh, oh
0: yeah. So, <laughs> wait, 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 so trust me, we're 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 all here for this <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sitting there. I'm listening. I'm like, okay,
1: all right, all right. Colby, so from an embryologic perspective, I know you remember. You'd have tucked it back in a Rolodex somewhere because it doesn't serve you anymore. But mm-hmm. for those of us who are women, when we actually go about being formed in our mother's wombs, we have got a fallopian tube and, and a uterus and another fallopian tube and a uterus. And what happens is these two halves come together to make a hole. The center hollows out and you've got if, if you're lucky, you have one normal functional cavity. There is a subset of people who have what are called Mullerian anomalies, where the two little pieces of uterus don't get together the way they're supposed to. It doesn't hollow out in the center and become one. And so these people are also a setup for endometriosis because they have ectopic endometrial tissue that ends up in other places. And so about 40% of these, these children that have these genital tract defects um, will have issues with endometriosis. They say 50% of women that have infertility have endometriosis and 70% of women and adolescents that have pelvic pain actually have endometriosis.
0: Mm, wow. And, and, and because we don't know the true figures, do you feel like the, the figures may be higher than what we're even
1: picking up? I would say so because unfortunately it takes about nine years to diagnose endometriosis because oh, it's wow. a disease of exclusion. And so when people present, so you have a patient that will come and see you and, and they've got these vague multitude of symptoms. So like in women, in, in grownups, people who are not adolescents and, and adolescents are defined as 10 to, to 19 years old. So in reproductive age women, you could have a lady that comes to see you with a complaint of pelvic pain, either with her periods or with sex. And so if it's pelvic pain, with her period, we call it dysmenorrhea, which is this dull, crampy pelvic pain that might start about two days before your cycle starts, lasts the entire length of the cycle, might occur a couple of days afterwards, or if it's chronic where it's been present for more than six months, it can be dull or throbbing or sharp, or even in one of my patients, she has a burning sensation. Every month when her cycle shows up, she's got a spot in her left lower quadrant or her anterior abdominal wall where it's like a hot poker that's how hers makes it something wow. that she has pain all the time but when her period shows up it just burns in this one little spot so that's with with cycle You've put, you have pain with your your period if you have pain with sex you will have patients that have complaints of pain with penetration particularly deep penetration and so when you go see your ob-gyn one of the ways that you can kind of mimic this is the thought is when you get these endometrial implants inside your personal space you can get these it starts off as a microscopic disease and you can get nodules Are uterus has got this support system inside our pelvis. It's kind of like for ladies who wear bras, it's kind of like the bra straps. You've got these things called uterococles that support it uh, on the inside of your pelvis. You can take your fingers in a lady who has endometriosis, put them in the back part of her vagina, separate them like a peace sign and stroke and practically make her leap off the table because she has nodular implants in the back. And so you can simulate this this pain with, with sex when you stroke on these this, these uterosacrals in the back if she's got nodules implanted inside them ladies who present with infertility. And so infertility technically is defined as a chick that's less than 35 years old that's been trying for a year to have, has been having regular sex for a year and trying to get pregnant, hasn't. If you're over 35 is six months essentially. But they say the 30 to 50% of women who have infertility have endometriosis. If you have a lady that presents and she has an incidental finding on ultrasound, when she's got some pain, you do an ultrasound, she's got a mass on her ovaries. There's a particular Endometrial implants can actually implants anywhere inside your pelvis on your bowel, on your bladder in inside the wall of the uterus too and I'll come back to that one and inside the ovary you can get what are called endometriomas where when you look at them on ultrasound they are essentially the equivalent of blood clots inside the ovary a lady that's got an ovarian mass that is an endometrioma you have a high index of suspicion that she has endometriosis wow. it'll also present in ladies that have bladder issues like if you have a feeling like when well, you do not have a UTI but you feel like you're going to the bathroom all the time or you feel like you've got to go right now, or you have pain when you go to the bathroom, that could be a sign of endometrial implants in your bladder. If you have bowel issues where you have issues with diarrhea or waxing and waning diarrhea and constipation or pain when you defecate or colicky bowel, that can be a sign of endometrial implants in your bowel. There is a version of endometriosis called adenomyosis which is what actually Gabrielle Union had, heavy menstrual bleeding is, is a possible sign of endometriosis. And by heavy menstrual bleeding, allow me to clarify, a regular period is supposed to be no more than 80 cc. So in simple terms and in English, 80 cc so, 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 Talk to is, the men out here because the men out right? I hear, right. It, right I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to tell you. So, so a, a normal period is four hotel bottles of lotion. It's 2.7 fluid ounces, or it's about a third cup, that mixing cup that you have in the kitchen when you're making stuff, a Mm -hmm. one-third cup size. That's 80 cc's. Anybody who has more than that, and some of the patients that I have had that have had heavy menstrual bleeding, they make cross it, they in crosses and skis and they underpants with pads. They got multiple, two, three stacking them like mattresses. Wow. Or they use tampons. If you can use a super plus tampon and that thing falls out in an hour or two, you have heavy menstrual bleeding. For Gabrielle Union, when she was talking about her fertility struggles, what she suggested was that she presented to her doctor with heavy menstrual bleeding and they traditionally put her on OCPs, birth control pills, in order to be able to regulate her flow she subsequently was found after having her struggles with with fertility so she could she had gone through some idea cycles she got pregnant a couple of actually she got pregnant more than a couple of times i think she suggested maybe nine times she got pregnant something along those lines mm. seven to nine times but with her she has endometriosis in the walls of her uterus and so you got this glandular tissue that's supposed to do right and be nice and fluffy like a comforter in the wintertime for this egg that's going to fertilize on the wall but it has a place where it's supposed to be. It's only supposed to be on the lining of the inside of this uterus, not deep within the muscle. For people who have the endometriosis Uh, inside the wall of their uterus or the adenomyosis, they actually have bleeding that occurs within the muscle itself. And this leads to inflammation and issues with uh, fertilization and implantation and being able to carry pregnancy. So again, heavy menstrual bleeding is also a sign as well as irregular menstrual bleeding endometriosis can also make itself manifest in the form of low back pain or chronic fatigue. This is why it's so nondescript and it takes forever to diagnose uh, and so That's, that's in, what I think about That's why you said nine years? Nine years, wow. yeah. In adolescence, which is that group between ages 10 to 19, and there have been some documented cases of little girls who didn't have those Müllerian anomalies I talked about where you just didn't come together right, there have been babies that have been documented to have endometriosis as young as eight and a half years old. Those little girls will have symptoms that are, that can be cyclic like only occurring with your pain and not having anything to do with your period but they can get pain that gets worsening and more severe when they actually start having periods Mm -hmm. they can have rectal pain they can have constipation they can have pain with defecation when they go to the bathroom associated with their cycle rectal bleeding Pain with urination and even blood in the urine, or that need to go right now, and so it's so nondescript. You can see how a physician would run through a litany of tests litany. before finally getting to the point where you even considered endometriosis
0: at all. Now, should now nine years seem so long? Is is it is sh- should it should it not be like more ahead of the line, or do you really have to kind of rule out some big stuff first before you can say like, okay, let me, let me let's think about endometriosis since I've done. You know, cross my T's of everything else.
1: So I think that because it was a diagnosis of exclusion for the longest time, to truly diagnose it, you need a tissue sample. And so what uh, the thought process... So how you get tissue was, if it's in
0: the muscle? How you get... Wow, okay.
1: Right. And adenomyosis you only get if you have a uterus in the path lab. That's how you diagnose that. Otherwise, it is... I take you to the operating room, I do a diagnostic laparoscopy where I poke a hole inside your belly button, fill you up with carbon dioxide, poke another two holes inside your belly in order to be able to get a camera inside there and some graspers to move around and look to see if I can see signs of disease. And it's got four stages to it. You could have minimal disease, which is microscopic and you don't see nothing, to stage four disease where you have everything stuck like Chuck on the inside. But ideally, if you get to the point where you have to do laparoscopy, then you go inside and you biopsy different parts of the pelvic sidewall underneath the uterus if it's on the ovary, wherever you see, there'll be, sometimes it looks chocolate, sometimes it looks white, and so any abnormalities you see your biopsy in them in order to be able to confirm the presence of disease, and that's part of it. A lot of us who are conservative would want to try, I think old school thought was, if you have endometriosis, let me try all these other things to make sure it's not that before I use last resort and take you to the operating Which room. Which is the operating room. A hole. Right, and poke a hole we'll, in
0: your I, in order to I, You start talking to operating with some people, and they're like, whoa, Oh, you want to do that just a look
1: exactly exactly and and yes just a look i mean you think about the fact that anytime you poke a hole inside anybody anytime you perform surgery there's a risk of adhesive disease thereafter and so mm-hmm. it's it's a risk versus benefits kind of thing but i think that the thought process i think more people are becoming more aware about how much of a big deal this is because you think about how often do when you were seeing patients that were women, you joke that you got put out of the room all the time, yeah. right? but it's it's a comfort level that's got to exist between you and your physician. And I'm sure you've seen the commercials talking about the the meds and the chicks, the studies mm-hmm. that have had endometriosis where people yeah. don't feel comfortable talking about what's going on with their period how much they bleed like you'd be surprised the number of women that have got menorrhagia or heavy menstrual bleeding where they can practically write their name on the floor in blood in cursive every time their period shows up and they think it's normal and they're not asking anybody about anything wow. and so and have, you felt, have you had from, trouble
0: in the past like trying to even pull that type of information out of your patients
1: you know i think for me i'm fortunate in that i laugh and joke with my patients and then because i have also had issues with menorrhagia like so I, Black people are real good at making fibroids, sidebar. I have a fibroid uterus that's about the size of a, a 12-week pregnancy. And as a consequence, I think God has got a funny sense of humor because as an OBGYN, there's so many things that I have experienced that I can relate to with my patients hmm. and having been one of those chicks that has menorrhagia without, so I, not that people want to know what my contraceptive option is, but I use a Marina IUD in order to control my menorrhagia. Without my Marina IUD, I can use a super plus tampon and it falls out every two hours and I could write my name on the floor of blood and curses. Like using a regular tampon? What, before my Marina? I didn't know what that mean, was. Wow. And so I use humor in order to bridge the gap in order to be able to ask those kinds of questions. So tell me about your menstrual cycle. How long does it last? What products do you use? How often do you change them? Because a large number of these people who have, who should have hemoglobin hematocrits of like six with their eyeballs rolling back because they bleed so much. Mm -hmm. They think that's absolutely normal. They think it's absolutely normal. And then because it's, it's your period and you're not comfortable talking about that stuff anyway, you're not going, if you, it's a don't ask, don't tell. Unless you have the kind of relationship with your physician where you feel like you can talk about it. And you
0: can talk about it. And if you can't, if you can't, honestly, you can't. If, if the relationship isn't there to talk to with your OB, you're definitely not talking to the hospitalist. Or any, you, you
1: definitely of course not. not. Of course not. <laughs> if the person who sees your soul from the bottom, you can't mm-hmm. have that conversation. Why are you talking to people who just see you with clothes on? Exactly. Right exactly
0: oh, okay oh all right all right so see see lunch like me and i told y'all we was going to get some learning today like I, I i already let y'all know uh we're going to do some learning today because again this is i'm taking notes right along with y'all because again <laughs> I, I i i've i've experienced and I, I've, I've taken care of patients with this disorder but of course you know me i'm referring you out to the ob when it when i boom, boom. i think what you got go ahead see my ob friend, see if that if that's the case so definitely uh you know wow okay so what about so we we talked about I I hear somebody, you know some of the the the, the signs and symptoms kind of really associated with it. Mm-hmm. Now, is there anything that these patients are doing that may have attributed to getting endometriosis? I mean, I mean, because we I guess they ha- they have to have a menstrual cycle, right? So it's not all yes. about the retrograde bleeding, but is there? Any- well,
1: in theory, remember there are some babies at eight and a half that haven't had periods that have issues with that have documented endometriosis. Wow, the vast majority of us have this menstrual have menstrual cycle related S- signs and symptoms where we're cycling and we've got this retrograde flow but you don't necessarily have to have a period you mm. can have these these girls that so when you talk about risk factors for endometriosis we talked again about the the developmental conditions that predispose you to basically having your belly peppered with endometrial tissue we talked also about the fact that there are some people who are believed to have a genetic predisposition so if you have a first degree relative that has endometriosis and by first degree relative is either your mama your sister or your children if you have a first degree relative that has endometriosis, you have an increased likelihood of having it too. And there's a thought process that in these people who have a genetic predisposition for endometriosis, there's something about the way their cells signal that they don't respect boundaries and go from one place to another. Like, ah,
0: you're right. a I'm going to the pelvis. That's why. I'm, I'm going wherever I want to go. You exactly. can't, you can't exactly. tell me nothing.
1: Exactly. And then there's also a thought too, that if you started your period early, like 10 or less, that you're at increased risk for endometriosis. Wow. Okay, all right. And then it has awful, unfortunately, has awful side effects too. Awful side effects.
0: Now, are those are the especially because we were kind of lean on the like kind of starting the period early. So of course, you know, we're talking about like kids, and then obviously this is uh, an issue that adults deal with as well. But I, I'm I'm always kind of fascinated, especially as uh, I'm an internist, so I really only see 18 and up. Uh, you know, as yes. OB, you know, you're seeing all kinds of ranges. Do 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 the complications associated with it, like are are they much worse off in a child than the adult, or is it still kind of like like it's bad either way? Like we know the rectal bleeding, we know the urinating, we know all this, but like if you if you had to I guess choose, right? Like when would you rather start dealing with these problems? Would you rather deal with it as, you know, in, in the younger age or more of that older, you know, thirty-five,
1: forty well, oh, so, and that's interesting. Thank you for reminding me. I forgot about that one. I'm going to tell you a little sidebar about that one. So, in theory, with, with children, um, the thought process is again, 40 to 40% of adolescents with general tract anomalies, 50% of them have in issues with infertility, and 70% of women uh, and adolescents with pelvic pain have got it. But the thought is that you've got longer in order to be able to pepper your belly with these things. And so as a child, outside of the Mm. symptoms that we discussed beforehand, the issue is think about all the years, particularly undiagnosed, that you've got your belly, your abdomen and your pelvis, your bowel, your bladder, being peppered by these implants inside your personal space that then may not reflect or respect boundaries, hop a ride on your vasculature or in your lymph system and go to other places. You can actually have endometriosis implants in your chest, so um the chest wall yes yeah you can actually it it, it, it's this thing with with so you know cells and how they're supposed to respect boundaries and go to confluence and and only move by exactly by protein signaling endometriotic implants can end up inside your lungs you can actually get a collapsed lung as a consequence of endometrial implants you can actually have hemoptysis where you cough blood but people don't know what that is yes Mm -hmm. or you can actually have um What is the other one? There's there's the collapsed lung, there's coughing up of blood, and there's one other. I'm going to circle back. When you talked about the difference between adults and children from the standpoint of what it is they have, you think about you have longer to be able to develop the side effects, which are infertility and adhesive disease, which distorts the tubes and the ovaries. You have inflammation, which is going to cause scarring, and you've got pain. And so you've got a longer time in order to be able to do this. So, yeah, it can give you chest pain, collapsed lung, uh, blood in the lungs and coughing up of blood. And then also with endometriosis, which I'm a sidebar in people who don't have it. When you talked about the difference between adult versus children. You can be a perfectly normal lady who went to go have a C-section. And as a consequence of having a C-section, because the uterine lining was disrupted, you can get endometrial implants anywhere along that incision line. So where when I do C-sections, so we wow. cut through the skin, we cut okay. through the fat, we cut through the fascia, separate the muscles, cut, so the, our organs are all lined with this uh, peritoneum. It's, it's got its own sausage sort of casing. Your bladder sits on top of your uterus and there's this thing called the vesicle uterine peritoneum that you cut, you push the bladder out of the way, you cut inside the uterus, you deliver the human, you close the uterus in one layer and then fold it back on itself. You can get endometrial implants from the opening of that uterus being out in the abdomen, in the fascia, in the anterior abdominal wall and in the incision site in my residency program we had a lady who had a complaint of pain every single time her period showed up and actually when we imaged her you found what looked like a small little one centimeter hole that it was actually much larger when you got inside her and started dissecting out where the endometrial lining had implanted in her incision and every single time she had a period it would bleed in her anterior wall in that incision site. Wow. I had, I had a lady who, when she was a child, she had, I can't remember what her particular condition was. She had some kind of condition where she ended up having uh, uh, anomalies with her legs. One was rotated backwards, the other was rotated in a strange way, and so she ended up having to have one of them amputated and was uh, compromised. Actually, had she had both of them amputated, bilateral amputee, and there was something going on with her belly where she had some kind of surgery where maybe there was a shunt or something that was placed. She presented with the complaints of belly button pain at one point in time. And on further um, inquiry, when you talk to her, she said that she could milk her belly button around the time when her period showed up and get a brown discharge to come out. And hmm. sure enough, she had endometrial implants in her belly wall where when she started cycling, because she had had surgery when she was a child, it was enough to disrupt stuff. And literally, she bled through her anterior wall where there was a defect in the wall where the implants would bleed right inside there. she get a little knot that was inside there. Wow. Another chick who came to office, same kind of thing, complained of just belly wall pain. She had an endometrioma in her anterior wall as well. And so you you go to the treatment of modalities for endometriosis because she's got endometriosis. It's Mm -hmm. not inside her uterus. It's endometrial tissue someplace else. So, and then outside of what it does from the standpoint of being a child and you having all this time to pepper your belly. And being able to get it, being a normal chick who just had a C-section or a disruption in the lying of the uterus and now you have it, it causes all kinds of pregnancy complications. It causes miscarriage, increased risk for ectopic pregnancy. You can get bleeding during pregnancy and hemorrhage afterwards. It sets you up for preeclampsia. You can have a placenta preview where ideally placement of the placenta is Hanging from the top of the uterus like a chandelier, it increases your risk for a previa where it covers the opening of your cervix and sets you up for a section sets you up for preterm labor and delivery, a C-section, and low birth weight babies. So it's just all unpleasant. Oh, this
0: is just problems. Right. Wow. Okay.
1: And the thought is that because you have got these ectopic uh, implants, this endometrial tissue inside your pelvis that then triggers an inflammatory response, as women, when we get pregnant, so we have relations, the sperm travels up our vagina, through our cervix, through our uterus, out our fallopian tube to find the egg, fertilizes the egg, and then the fallopian tube pulls the egg that's fertilized towards itself. And then in the tube, you've got these hairs, these cilia, that kind of push the egg through the tube and into the wall of the uterus. It is a thought process that with people who have endometriosis, that the inflammatory mediators or chemicals in their pelvis are so high that it's toxic to sperm, and that's part of the compromise with your fertility too. That the sperm get inside there and go because it's just not nice. This this this, is like this is not not the place for me. Right? No, I can't can't work up in these conditions. I cannot be up in here. No. Wow. So it's
0: crazy. That's and and, and well, I guess the question is like, like, especially in your, your stance, like how what's the likelihood that you're gonna, you know, see, see a young girl who's complaining of a lot of these issues and say, you know what, let me let, let's open you up and see, right? Like, let's do a laparotomy, right? Like, is, is, is that does that also aid into it as well that, you know, maybe, maybe the surgeons aren't likely to open them up to check because like, I, sure, I don't want to put a surgeon, sure. I don't want to put a kid through that?
1: And you think about the fact that if it's a child, Some of us are comfortable with adolescence. Some of us are not. There's a branch of gynecology that is specific to pediatrics. And so you think about access and you think about whether or not people are even listening to what the complaints are. How many people with a child who complained of having constipation would ever think that it's endometriosis and not you just eat too much junk or you need to drink some Mm -hmm. more water? I think that there's such vague complaints that unless the child has been complaining about them the entire time and you've done a complete workup. And I can't tell you the number of times where with endometriosis, it comes down to the gastroenterologist and the OBGYN they've been sent in order to be able to get a colonoscopy in order to be able to be assessed to see what's going on with this presumed abdominal pain that once they rule them not that it's not GI in origin then it becomes well the only other thing you got left down there is your reproductive organ so it's either your gut or your uterus which isn't Mm -hmm. or the attachments to it
0: i'm scared i'm scared for y'all (laughs) because i don't have to do those issues but uh and clearly, clearly, this is why a disease process like this needs this whole month, right? Because if it averages nine years to like that shit, we got to move this up, right? We got to we got to move this up quickly. That should not be the case, you know. You know, I'm oh, oh, I'm so sorry for y'all. I'm so sorry for y'all. But I think things
1: I think things are getting better. again, we used to we used to treat it like it was a zebra, And you go through everything before you. And even from the same point of, you ask about what's the likelihood of somebody performing surgery. So ideally, the thought is to do laparoscopic surgery. But you think about, People who manage conservatively, they would put you on everything first. Exactly. Birth control control, in order to be able to shut you down and see what exactly. You would you would go through all the other conservative options before definitively going to surgery. And and the the data suggests that even if you do surgery, if you do surgery alone and that's it, because there are people who definitively get relief with surgery, particularly if you have adhesions where you imagine that you've got what's a good example of an adhesion. Um, hmm, where you have an abnormal connection of one thing to another. Um, maybe like imagine a ribbon uh, not inside your uterus but still sure. if you had a connection between your uterus and your bowel or your uterus was stuck to your anterior abdominal wall because this inflammation causes this scarring and this adhesive disease to take place
0: mm-hmm. if you almost like, your almost, your like, uterus, almost like a, almost like a fly trap where like it's like it's, it's stuck to yes, that that is yes, shit that's
1: you. a good analogy yes thank you minus the dead flies minus the dead flies yes minus the, the, dead, flies. Flies. Yes. Minus <laughs> the dead flies yes <laughs> exactly where you have things sticking from one point to another and it causes For the people who have chronic pelvic pain and have advanced disease, just going to the bathroom causes them problems. If they have issues with constipation and their bowel is stuck to their anterior abdominal wall or stuck to their uterus or contorted in some way, shape, or form, and you think about how the the bowel has got this motion where it kind of squeezes fecal matter from one point to another, just being constipated is enough to cause you wicked pain. And so people who have chronic pelvic pain, secondary to adhesive disease, secondary to endometriosis, have to do things to alter their lifestyle, like to make it so the consistency of their stool is more were, like soft serve, so the bowel doesn't get over distended and piss it off and cause pain. Some pain.
0: Wow, so we didn't, we didn't scare we didn't scare the lunch learning community enough. <laughs> but Dr. Nila, they want to hear now, like, all right, Dr. Nila, like you, you don't scare us, you, we believe you, we, we know this is an issue. Um, please tell me how to treat it or at sure. least prevent it, right? Because it is, sure. well, I guess, I guess that's a two part question, right? Yes. Um, is this a way, right? Again, if little kids is getting even before they're. You know they're menstruating, right? Is there an actual way that you could do anything about this? And and if there is, like, how do I treat it? Like, I I know we've mentioned a little bit about the the oral contraceptives, which again, I'm an internist, I don't know none of those things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious! You said so. I'm trying to be really really good, but all I can hear you say is, "I leave that to the people in vagina land." Nope, mm-hmm. I don't do that. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. So so treatment options and prevention. Unfortunately, at this point, because we. We understand its mechanism of action, but we don't really understand what causes it. So because we don't really understand what causes it, we've seen you know, there are clusters of people that look like this and clusters of people that look like that. We don't know how to prevent it. And so the thought now is with treatment options, there are a couple. The thought ideally is you wanna decrease your inflammation. And, and initially, incidentally, I didn't mean to scare anyone. I just, knowledge is power. I wasn't trying <laughs> to scare anybody hard. at all. The Let, yes.
0: learn community knows that, you know, we're gonna talk about a lot of disease courses that you know what, if you're not if it's not taken care of, it can cause a lot of problems. Yes, and, yes, yes, like, yes. You yes. can't take care of the problem if you don't know that the problem is out there. And this is true, you're true. absolutely correct.
1: <laughs> and so with treatment, so ideally, first line is non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. Ibuprofen and naproxen, back in the day, we used to give people for chronic pelvic pain, narcotics, and unfortunately we turned them into crackheads. Yep. So ideally the goal is to stay away from opioids. You wanna do what you can do to increase, decrease, I'm sorry, inflammation, that's first one. Mm-hmm. Second is you use hormones. So you either have a couple of choices. You can either use birth control for non-birth control reasons, if you're not sexually active and you just have wicked pain, or you get a twofer trying to decrease your pain and make it so that you don't get any unplanned babies. The thought is you can use birth control pills. You can use uh, injectables, which would be Depo. You can use the implant, which is the next on, the ring. You either use them continuously where you get on a method and you stay on a method or you use it cyclically in and, order and, to be able to make it. And, and, from,
0: and from a, you know, from a, you know, non, you know, OB, you know, let's, let's say I'll even talk about the guy from the guy's perspective, right? When y'all take yes. these birth control pills, is it so that y'all will Bleed less, so so
1: y'all... Ah, so yes. Okay, I got you. Yes, thank you for asking me for clarity. Well, in my case, as I told you, I can write my name on the floor in blood and cursive. Mine is definitely about not having humans and bleeding less. And so... Earlier when we talked before about how the brain calls the ovaries and tells the ovaries, we're trying to have a baby and the ovaries go about thickening up the lining of the uterus and making it so you ovulate your body doesn't care how the hormones are made. You can either make them or take them. Your body just wants them to be present. And so the thought with the use of birth control pills or, or contraception, depending on which kind you use mm-hmm. is to thin the lining of the uterus. So you don't have a nice fluffy lining for an egg to implant. And some of the modalities actually shut your ovaries down. So you don't ovulate in this case. The goal is to be able to thin the lining of that uterus. And if you're using it continuously, to shut down those ovaries so that that you don't have that tissue that's in other places that's getting nice and thick. And then after it gets nice and thick, it dies and you've got all this inflammation. You're trying to stop that process. Just shut it down. Ah, Thank you very okay. much. Where you're in these other locations. Yes, where you're living, where you've traveled abroad. So we're trying to,
0: we trying to starve those areas off. And that is exactly so, right. We got. That we got to exactly take. Right. Okay. All right. See. See. All right. All right, guys. Trust me, guys. I got y'all on here. I know this is a women's cell <laughs> phone, but trust me, I'm, <laughs> I'm here. So, I'm
1: from the y'all. yes, from the standpoint <laughs> of endometriosis, the goal is to starve that estrogen sensitive tissue that's sitting out there in the periphery. So you can either use hormones from in the form of birth control or there are another batch of medicines you can use called gnrh agonists i'm not gonna have a big fat geek moment over this because it's team too much but old school there was a medicine called lupron which was a shot that you could get new school is this one that you see on tv called oralista they're both grnh agonists and what they do is they cause the equivalent of a medical menopause they shut you down allow the implants to starve and die but they can only be used short term. Like the list, depending on what your symptoms are, you can only use it six months to 24 months. And the same with lupron because there's some side effects that go with it. Because it puts you into a medical menopause, it can actually decrease your bone mineral density and make you like a little old lady that snaps uh, back with uh, yeah, yeah, your bone. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So those are treatments. and If you do hormones, the thought is if you do hormones, you do inserts too. So hormones and inserts, And the goal with, if you use the hormones from the standpoint of the contraception, the goal is to trick your body into this sort of false pregnancy state, shut down your ovaries and make the implants die or go into a coma and decrease that inflammation. The next option would be surgery, like we talked about, laparoscopy, laparoscopic surgery where you fill the belly up with carbon dioxide, drop a camera on the inside, put in some graspers in order to move things around, see if you can find some tissue to biopsy to confirm the diagnosis. If there are adhesions, you disconnect those adhesions. And then if there are lesions that you can see, you do what's called ablation. You literally go and you burn these adhesions on the inside of the belly. (laughs) Now, the lovely thing about surgery, but the bad thing about surgery is that anytime you have surgery... God makes all of our organs have their own organ case to them. Even your belly has got a lining, just like the inside of your mouth. Anytime you pop inside somebody's belly, you risk the possibility of causing them adhesions as a consequence of the surgery. And and if you like, surgery like alone, how it happens with the C section, where like yes, okay. well, well, well it, the the aden- the endometriosis actually tracks. So all of these layers that you put together, it actually tracks into all these. So imagine anywhere your knife touched mm-hmm. skin, fat, fascia, peritoneum. The endometrial cells can be in any of that line from the inside of the uterus all the way out from the incision site in the uterus to the peritoneum to the fascia and the muscle wall in the. Fat all the way through in the skin itself, all the way through. And the lady I was talking about in residency, she had a tiny little lesion in her skin. But when you went to go die- dissect this thing out, it was huge and it was in her fascia. So it was like a mountaintop. You just saw the top of the mountain. And when you right. got up underneath the surface of her flesh, right, you saw the rest of this mountain down inside. They were like icebergs. You know, that analogy mm. they used. I'm, I'm, I'm so,
0: not, not going to lie. I might not wish in omicrosis I'm an enemy. I'm just, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's the no, stuff no, I'm no, hearing. No.
1: It, it is no. not a pretty thing to have at all. And the problem was is that if you just do surgery within a year, you got symptoms that return again. Wow. Definitive treatment for endometriosis, once you have done having your baby. So ideally for ladies who are reproductive age, the goal is to shut you down so you're ready to get pregnant. You get pregnant, then we shut you back down again. And then when you're done, depending on the severity of your disease process, some people respond well to hormones, some people don't. And definitive treatment for endometriosis is removing your uterus, tubes, and ovaries, being without hormone for a period of time to allow the implants to die off, and then restarting the hormones afterwards, because you really need to be on hormones till menopause
0: up in this country, and average age is 52. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you look like a man about your blood vessels, and you snap, crackly pop, and all
1: kinds of other stuff, so... Outside of that, there's a thought process that there are some alternative medicine options that may or may not work. Now, the the traditional data says it doesn't work, but you have to bear in mind that we are unique individuals. We have bio individuality, and so what works for one person may not work for somebody else, but may work for the person that's using it. So the thought mm-hmm. is that acupuncture, herbal remedies, and homeopathy may very work for some people. Okay. Outside of that, from the standpoint of you asked if there's anything you, you you can do to prevent it. No, the thought process is to try and make yourself as healthy as you can be and to have coping mechanisms for the pain
0: so, so healthy wise you're talking about food or? right
1: okay. yeah we're talking about food we talking about eating a balanced diet with very little processed food in it we talking about getting enough sleep because you heal yourself when you sleep at night we're talking about exercise in order to be able to decrease uh, inflammation and meditation in order to be able to help cope with the pain there's also in the data there's a suggestion too that people who have endometriosis are deficient in vitamin d And so when we talk about how this tissue responds and how we can say, oh, you have to stay at the curb, but I'm going to go outside the boundaries and do other stuff. In these people who have endometriosis and are found to have vitamin D deficiencies, folks believe that supplementation of vitamin D might make a difference. And any woman who's of reproductive age needs 800 uh, international units of vitamin D a day anyway. Some of us brown people don't spend a whole lot of time in the sun and don't generate the vitamin D. And I'll give you an example. A lot of people who drink milk, uh, they get milk and eat cheese. They don't floss milk and eat cheese. They get all the calcium and vitamin D they need. I don't drink milk because I'm lactose intolerant. The last time I had my labs on, I'll tell you, my vitamin D level was 17. I'm surprised Dr. Barry ain't laughing at me. Yeah, normal is considered, yeah. to, be, <laughs> normal is considered yeah. to be 30. And in vagina land, as an OBGYN, we like it to be around 60. And so vitamin <laughs> okay. D supplementation t- Outside of, of finding that people who have endometriosis are deficient in vitamin D, there's also a thought process that vitamin D and depression uh, have a role, deficiencies in vitamin D, and colon cancer, there are deficiencies in vitamin D. So just bone up. Get on your vitamin D.
0: Get on Get on the vitamin D. Whew. All yes. right. All right. Whew. All right. I'm, 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 I'm scared. You know, uh, it's it's like like I said again. Again, I, I kind of scoffed at first. Cause I was like, "Why does this little thing have its own mouth? Like, this ain't this ain't heart disease. This ain't you know." But, but like, okay, all right. It's not, but it, it, is it.
1: A f- it affects f- your quality of life. So you, quality of life is. You talked bad. about seriousness of disease. The reality is that endometriosis isn't going to kill anybody at all. There's a thought process that when I talked earlier about the ovarian masses that you can get, the endometriomas, the endometrial tissue that invades into the ovary and actually takes residence can actually give you... So with ladies who have sidebar, I'm making a a correlation. I apologize for the running, but I'm coming back. Ladies who have polycystic ovarian syndrome who don't have regular menstrual cycles or increased risk for endometrial cancer because that lining Become can become atypical. They find that that same kind of thing can happen in the ovary, where the endometrial tissue that is implanted in the ovary and has now caused this chocolate cyst full of blood, which is an endometrioma, it can take on abnormal qualities just like the lining of the uterus when it is atypical in ladies who have PCOS. They haven't found where it's actually become full-on cancer, but it has the capability to change because it's endometrial tissue outside right. the uterus doing some crazy yeah. stuff. Those Right. The bad thing about endometriosis is, like I said, if you if you have it, it's everything, unfortunately. It can cause infertility. It can dictate whether or not you can leave your house and function without pain. The patients that I have had that have had chronic pelvic pain secondary to endometriosis sometimes have a, have to be selective about the kind of jobs that they take because if you have a pain syndrome that's present, say, 21 days out of the month, where you might have 8 out of 10 pain on most days, but maybe you get a break, and on some other days you've got 5 out of 10 pain, it interferes with your ability to be able to live. If you can't get out to bed and get up and get functioning because your belly is, is, feels like it's demonically possessed and it's telling you all kinds of things from a pain standpoint and you can't function pain-wise, then how can you hold a decent job? There are people who, because they have issues with endometriosis and the pelvic pain is exacerbated when they have relations If you are single and not already in an intimate relationship, you have a difficulty with engaging in relationships. And if you're married, it can interfere with your ability to be able to have an intimate relationship with your spouse. And then that over time leads to depression because it's a chronic chronic pain syndrome. Intimacy is a huge part of having relations or we're having a relationship. And imagine not being able to be intimately associated with the person that you vowed to spend the rest of your life with because it hurts so bad, you can't stand it. That wow. it's like having nails pounded in the back of your personal space. And so you'd much rather eat a nail than have an intimate relationship.
0: Wow. Oh, lord. okay. All right. All right. Uh, you win, you win, you win intimate me, your sisters. Dr. Neil, before we before we let you go right i got a couple definitely a couple more questions you know but just more sure. more of an, on a lighter note right because endometriosis has scared us uh <laughs> again i might i might have to tell my residents like hey like that patient who comes in for this vague abdominal pain like you know we might oh. need to move a cup we might need to move it up a couple notches on the differential now how can you talk about how what you do right, can help women, you know, take just take better control of life. And not necessarily just for shows, but just in general, right? And this is a question I like to ask. I just want to, you know, I want to kind of get my guests' thoughts on, like, what do they do to help people empower, especially in your world, women empower themselves for better health?
1: Sure. So what I like to do with all of my encounters, be it individually as a patient, either in the hospital or in coaching, or when I was in private practice in private practice is I encourage them to be their own healthcare advocate. When you're looking for a physician, the purpose is to find somebody that you can partner with, with the ultimate goal of optimizing your health. Medicine is no different than customer service. It actually is like customer service. Yes, definitely. So for women, for those of us who like to drop some coins every now and then in places like, say, Nordstrom, we know that Nordstrom is pricey as all get out. But the one thing that you can bank on with Nordstrom is they have customer service on lock. You know, they're rumored to have taken back a tire from somebody who said that they bought it there, even though they don't sell tires. Medicine is no different than that. If you don't have a relationship with someone who listens to you and is genuinely vested in you being successful, you being healthy, spend your money someplace else. This it. also puts the onus of your health care on you. So I think that when I think about my patients and, and they come and they talk to me, they say that nobody has listened to them. And I think that's crucial. I think that you have to bear in mind that however old you are, you have had that body and know how that body works for however many years God has allowed you to live on the face mm-hmm. of the earth. And no one's going to know you, it better
0: than you. No one's
1: right, right. You. you are your own health care advocate. You got this on lock. If you go see somebody and you are trying to talk to them about what you're experiencing and then listen to what it is you say, go ahead and pick up and walk right on out the door. Take your your money and your insurance card with you because you wouldn't take bad customer service at a restaurant. Nope. You wouldn't take bad customer service in a product that you purchased. Nope. So why would you take it with your health care, which Ooh, is more them. important and lasting <laughs> than than a purse that you're going to buy or meal that you're going to eat and pass and pass on through?
0: I love it. Oh, I it. please, please tell the Washington community like how can they find you? Right, because I know some people are probably energized right now. You know, and I, I, I kind of alluded to your Facebook. Like, give, give them all the dirt because I need people to be able to kind of track you down. <laughs> <out.
1: laughs> sure. So, on the on the sly, I'm a firm believer that food is medicine that tells the body what to do, and so I have invested in becoming a health coach. So, in addition to being an OBGYN, I'm a health coach. And with that said, I love answering questions, as Dr. Barry has alluded to. So on Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. CST, because I'm in Texas, I do Facebook Live on women's health topics. So you can find me across all social media at OBGYN. That's Dr. Anila OBGYN. You can also uh, find more information on my website, which is also www.dranilaobgyn.com. That's dranilaobgy OBGYN.com. And I, as, if you tune into any of my, my lives, you'll find that I love answering questions. I think that, as I alluded to earlier, my mom died because there was nobody there to advocate for her. And at 22 years old, I didn't know the questions to ask. Mm-hmm. My goal as a health provider is to make it so that you know what I know so you're armed to take better care of yourself.
0: Woo. I love it. Absolutely love it, and of course, my community like always. Um, if you're if you're running out, you're in the car, you're driving, wherever you're doing, um, you don't have to worry. All the all of her information will be in the show notes, so you we will make sure. And and you really just gotta watch one of her Facebook lives because she gets very animated, right? Like she will really make you uh, like, oh, okay, yeah, this woman's health really is. That's why I said, you know, you're gonna be on my show
1: because
0: I need someone animated to educate me on women's health. To really educate y'all. So again, it's she is all what what she seems to be when you listen to her, and you could just tell the love that's there. Like that's that's out of everything, right? You could just tell the love that is there to educate, to help you, right, get to where you need to be, and and that's what I love about her. Right, she's absolutely amazing. Uh, Again, we're gonna make sure she will be a repeat regular on this show especially again I, y'all y'all ask me a lot about women's health stuff and I'd be like <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like hey hey they uh, this I know what I know and I know what I don't know and, when, and once I realize I know what I don't know that's when I get the console
1: well, sir, it has been my privilege and it would most assuredly be my pleasure for whatever it is you'd like for me to talk about from Vagina Land because I have it online. Yes. I would happily provide that for <laughs> <point>.
0: you. <laughs> All right. Again, appreciate uh, everything that you do for your community. Appreciate everything you do for just the, the world and, you know, allowing you to take your amazing talents out outside of the clinic and outside of the one-on-one and being able to talk to the masses. So, again, thank you, Dr. Neely, for coming on uh, the show this week.
1: Thank you so very much, Dr. Barry. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for getting to the end of the show. I am your host, Dr. Barry Pierre, host of The Lunch with Dr. Barry. And this is another amazing episode that we like to bring to you week after week on betterment of empowering yourself for better health today. If you have not had a chance, please go ahead and subscribe to the show if this is your first time listening. If you already listen and you've already subscribed, make sure to leave me a five-star review because your support is absolutely important in keeping the show moving as it is and if you have not had a chance and you want to check out today's show notes always head over to lunchlearnpod.com that is lunchlearnpod all in one word.com and you can get the access to the show notes for every single episode but especially the one you just listened to and i'm gonna see you guys next week you guys be blessed bye